When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 702, The Naked Scientist. Indeed. Good morning, Chris. Hey, good morning, Eusebius. How are you? I'm good. I should have said hello tomorrow. <laughs> you, sh- you should have done. Yeah, I'm sorry I wasn't here last week, but I was in Paris. I mean, someone has to go. Um, it was this extraordinary conference I went to called Hello Tomorrow, just for those who are what not on, like? on our joke. Well, I'd never heard of this conference until they got in touch with me about a month ago to say, we've got this conference on in Paris. It started in 2011. It was a bunch of, of what can be defined as frustrated PhD and early career scientists who were saying, look, we're generating this amazing technology in our laboratory. We know it's got world-changing potential, but we can't get investors and business, uh, venture capitalists, etc. interested because they're just looking for the next Uber. Who can blame them? But um, they said this will motivate us to create this summit, which they called Hello Tomorrow. The idea being that they want to introduce people to this thing that they're dubbing deep technology. The idea here is that you've got really, really interesting technologies coming through, which are underpinned by science. It's not just developing an app which goes viral on the Internet. This is, you know, strongly scientifically underpinned research. And this leads to a product which is going to have world wide impact and now they get thousands of applications from early startups these are people who've got a good idea they might be a university spin-off they might be people who are just getting their company going underpinned by some very exciting technology and they select from those almost 5,000 applications a number of businesses to be their top 500 and then a number of those come to Paris and they pitch and you can sit there at this scientific conference and each of these pitches is three or four minutes long so nothing too long very, very fast-paced, and you see these extraordinary ideas going past in front of you. I, I met a guy who's making noise-cancelling headphones for your windows. Uh, specifically, if you live near a busy road or an airport, um, you don't want to hear the noise coming in through your windows, their system detects the sounds that are coming into your house, and it makes the windows vibrate in the opposite phase, so the windows are doing the opposite movement to what the sound's making them do, so they cut down the sound getting into your house by 90%. I spoke to a woman from Sweden who discovered during her PhD some molecules which make the immune system flock to a wound. So what she's done is to genetically engineer the bacteria you find in yoghurt so that you can rub these yoghurt bacteria into a wound. For instance, if you've got a foot ulcer or you're diabetic and you've got uh, ulcerated skin, these bacteria don't live in the wound for very long because they're not well adapted to be there, but they do, while they're there, churn out these immune-signaling chemicals and the immune system rushes into the wound site and it uh, reduces by an enormous amount the time it takes the wounds to, to close and heal. So it was, it was discoveries like this which were very exciting and all of them are literally months to under a year away from hitting the market. So we're going to start seeing some of the things that were being presented in Paris very, very soon. So it was very exciting, really interesting and I'm actually going to make a whole radio programme about it so I'm just, just interviewing these people that were presenting there. Very, very exciting. That sounds stunning. It sounds like it was also inspiring for you. I often find that when I, for example, I sit on a committee that sends uh, students to Oxford on a scholarship, one of my favorite parts of the year, Chris, uh, interviewing them because 
you know, and, and the same goes with good mentoring. When you speak to, in your case, PhD students and early career scientists, it also reinvigorates in you. You're already a curious person, but to see that kind of innovation and thinking, it's absolutely awesome. I'm sure you also felt inspired in terms of your own work. Yeah, absolutely. I suspect that you're quite a fierce interviewer for these Oxford people. Are you? Do you ask some really hard questions? Is it like the Oxford entrances and the Cambridge entrance exam? Because you know, we, we are notorious because I've interviewed um, people who are yeah, wanting to be students at Cambridge University. And so we would come up with things that we would ask in the interviews that we felt wouldn't just be shared on the internet and already out there, but things that would test an ability of somebody to think. Because what we're looking for is not just a person who's been coached or knows loads of stuff already. We're looking for people who actually know how to think and that's quite a different skill and, and someone who can yeah. be taught yeah absolutely tower good morning to you thank you for calling in what is your question for chris morning gentlemen uh, chris i've read somewhere where they say that the photosphere and the corona of the sun are actually hotter than the inner core of the sun how could that be possible when it actually should be the reverse i'll listen on the radio your observation and uh, your claim is absolutely correct. Scientists have made measurements of what we believe the surface temperature of the sun to be. It's about five or 6,000 degrees. Yet, if we look at the area around the sun, the so-called corona, it's at millions of degrees. Now, why should that be? We have not really any idea. It may be something to do with how the uh, magnetic field of the sun works and, and diverts plasma around the sun and concentrates the heat in one particular area around the sun, but certainly on the surface of the sun, it is cooler than it is around the, the, the corona of the sun. And there are various experiments and space probes that are being launched in order to study some of these phenomena. It's very important we understand this because as well as providing us with the energy that sustains life on our planet, the sun also uh, periodically has these convulsive burps of various material which it ejects into space. These are called coronal mass ejections. And if one of them hits our planet, it can be devastating because it can knock out satellites, it can cause power delivery problems. Not that South Africa is unfamiliar with those anyway. But um, <laughs> you know where I'm going with that. But the point, the point is that understanding how the sun works is very important. And so there are various probes that, that are trying to understand the workings of the sun. And hopefully they'll also get a handle on how this temperature imbalance works as well. Let's take one from Twitter. Pule says, Eusebius, a naked scientist, when I fill up my ice cube rack with tap water, I notice that the bits of frozen ice in there already in the rack will crack. Please explain why. Good morning you to you, Pule. The answer to this one is because of impurities in the water, and those impurities include dissolved gases. Now, when you put the ice cube in the ice cube tray, as the temperature drops, the uh, ice cube starts to form little bubbles because the gases that are dissolved in the ice uh, get squeezed into out of the ice and into the residual water because the ice crystals don't have space to hold the gas molecules as well as the water can. So you end up with water which becomes more and more concentrated in gas and because these gas bubbles don't fit into the matrix that's, that's the crystal, then they form a defect, and those defects are the tiny little crazes and cracks. Other dissolved salts will also do this. So if you've got uh, dissolved calcium and hardness in your water, which in you know, places like Joburg are going to have a lot of that because it's all on limestone, then you're going to see this. How do you solve it? Well, you could use deionized water, which is very expensive. A cheaper way of doing this, actually, is to boil the water. If you take your kettle, boil the water 
and then put the hot water into the ice cube tray, not when it's too hot to melt the ice cube tray, obviously, and then put that water into the, free, into the freezer. Boiling water removes, A, the dissolved gas, and B, some of the temporary hardness because it deposits in your kettle, so you get cleaner water, and that will produce nice, pristine, pure ice crystals that shouldn't have any of these defects in them. 702, The Naked Scientist. Chris, let's take one from the SMS line. Muzi wants to know from you, why do men have nipples? The reason men have nipples is because when we form as embryos inside our mums, we form following a standard body plan dictated by our DNA. And it's only once that body plan has already been laid down and all of the different segments of the body, because we develop in a series of segments rather like a centipede or a millipede, and each of those segments has its own genetic program laid down into it that that patterns it and tells it how to develop. And that's the same in boys and girls from the moment of conception. We only then specialise the different bits of the body and produce the urogenital system, in other words, the bits that give you a willy or the ladies' parts, later on during development. And so you already have your nipples patterned into your body and they turn into breasts in ladies but stay small in men under the influence of hormones and they only come along later on. So the bottom line is your body develops as a pattern dictated by your genes and some bits of it then grow more or develop in a different way in response to hormones but nipples are there from the get-go pretty much. Neil, good morning. Hi, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Go ahead. I just want to know from Chris, um, I've often wondered noise-cancelling headsets, does it protect your hearing or have you actually got double the amount of noise coming in there and you just can't hear it? Hello, Neil. Well, for people who are not familiar, the way that noise-cancelling headphones work is that what they're doing is they are reducing the amount of sound that you don't want to hear going into your ear so that you will listen only to sounds that you do want to hear. The way that they do this is that they have a microphone on the outside of the hearing system pointing outwards, listening to the noise that's coming in from the environment. They then create sound which is out of phase with the sound that's coming in from the environment. And what out of phase means is that if you imagine a wiggly wave, which is a sound wave, if you create the mirror image of that sound wave and then add the two waves together, then it's like minus one plus one makes zero. The waves cancel out and you don't hear anything. And a sound wave is a pressure wave. So if you create an area of high pressure and then you create the mirror image area of low pressure, you get no pressure, so you don't hear any sound. So in theory, you are reducing the amount of sound going into your ears, but this is not to say that it's not going to harm your hearing, because if you've got the headphones turned up really, really loud for the sounds you do want to hear, you could still be damaging your hearing. So headphones that cancel noise will reduce the extraneous environmental noise, but you've still got to be careful about how loud you actually play your music out when you're using headphones. Tony, good morning. Good morning, Eusebius and Dr. Chris. Uh, my questions relate to the CCR5 gene, which is resistant to the HIV virus. Now, the first question is, can scientists harvest this CCR5 gene from people who have it? Alternatively, can scientists produce this gene in the laboratory and administer this to others? Because... If that is possible, then you see your good self and I would become billionaires overnight. 
I'm afraid that someone's beaten you I to you it. I you had a public health interest, but I didn't yeah. realize you wanted to make money, Tony. No. Well, well, <laughs> Interesting you, question, Chris. If you can do both, that's a good thing. Um, people have beaten you to it because for more than a decade, actually, people have been exploiting the discovery that about 2 to 5% of people in Europe seem to quite naturally be resistant to HIV infection. And when it, this was examined further, it turned out that what these people carry is a change in a gene it's called CCR5. It's a chemokine receptor. And this is a molecule on the surface of the white blood cells targeted by HIV, which the virus uses as a co-receptor. It's almost like a, a toehold that the virus uses to grab hold of the cells it wants to infect. And some people, as I say, between about 2 and 5% of people in Europe have a mutation or a change in the coding for that gene they've actually lost a little bit. It's called CCR5 Delta 32, Delta meaning a deletion of 32 genetic letters from their copy of the gene. And this subtly changes the shape of the gene so that when it's expressing its protein on the surface of the white blood cell, it looks different and the AIDS virus cannot recognise it. So it can't cling on. It's rather like Teflon coating the cells. And because of this, the virus finds it much more difficult to infect those cells. And the strains of virus that tend to transmit very early during HIV, and which are the ones that most people give to each other, because they cannot infect via this route, then this is what makes people who carry this particular trait and have this uh, change on their white blood cells very difficult, if not impossible, to infect with HIV. Now, has this been exploited therapeutically? Yes, it has, because we now have drugs which actually target this receptor, CCR5. One of them is called Raltegravir, and they block that receptor so that the virus can't get hold of it. There's also, in the last 10 years, now been two cases, the last one about a month ago, of people who had advanced HIV and had to undergo a bone marrow transplant because they'd succumbed to a lymphoma, which is a cancer of white blood cells. And this is about 100 times more common in people with HIV that this happens. And these two individuals, just by chance, were treated by bone marrow transplantation from a donor patient that had this CCR5 Delta 32 change in their white blood cells. And we don't exactly understand why yet, but in these two patients, they have been cured of HIV. And two years on in one case and many years on in the other case, you cannot detect any virus in the blood of these two individuals. So doctors are very intrigued by this and trying to work out how it's happened because we would have thought that there would be other strains of HIV in the body by that stage that would be capable of surmounting this problem. But it seems to have got rid of the virus. So this is an interesting anomaly that now might lead us down the path of even better ways to manage the disease. So very interesting area. Hmm. Michael, good morning to you. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes, hi, Yusufus. Um, the naked scientists, in South Africa, we're having these challenges about rolling blackout, as you know. Um, inverters is the, is the topic of the day. What with the batteries? Has the batteries now got to the stage where we can have a return on investment of, of a few years, if not 10 years, um, and these batteries have a memory where apparently after four or five years they start failing? Where are we with technology to enhance the, the battery life for inverters? Hmm. I'll listen to the radio. Well, we're getting some really interesting points and topics being raised this week, and this, this is one of them. Now, South Africa is one country that is blessed with something I never see, and that's 
a lot of sunshine. And that means there's a wonderful opportunity in South Africa to exploit that sunshine with solar. In other words, photovoltaics. But the problem that's highlighted here is that the sun doesn't shine all the time. What about night time? You still need energy. And if you have a flaky energy provider, then you're in trouble at night, which is where storage comes in. And so what uh, scientists and technologists are moving towards is a much more integrated distribution system, what we're dubbing a smart grid almost, where you have a big input from sustainables and renewables, things like wind turbines, things like solar power. But then you have a way of storing this energy. And there are a number of ways to do this. Some involve, for instance, turning the energy into hydrogen hydrogen gas which you store and then you feed the hydrogen back through what we call a fuel cell which chemically reacts the hydrogen with oxygen from the air produces water so it's not producing waste products but it liberates electricity there are also other ways to store energy in batteries and we're making better batteries all the time now the other point that was alluded to is why does the performance of a battery deteriorate with time and this is something which is uh, very familiar to many people. You buy a new laptop, the laptop works wonderfully for the first year or so. Uh, it used to have a 14-hour battery life and you could take it all over the world and your batteries would never go flat. Same with a mobile phone. After a year or so, you start noticing you're having to plug the charger in a lot more often. And the reason for this is that inside these batteries, because these batteries are having to deliver such a huge amount of energy to power these very energy-hungry devices, because they use a lot of energy... The batteries have electrodes inside, often electrodes made of carbon and graphite in these lithium batteries. And the flow of current as it pushes lithium ions onto and off of the electrode, which is how it works, actually causes the electrodes to begin to fracture or fall apart. And this leads to a deterioration in the ability to store charge and the ability to liberate charge from the battery, which is why the performance declines. So scientists are now looking at new ways to make better electrode materials or to protect the electrodes better in these batteries or even go to the next generation of batteries that don't use lithium at all. They use something else. So there's a whole range of options being explored because we accept we need to be able to store power better. And in countries like South Africa, where there is enormous potential for renewables, wind and solar especially, then having the ability to pack away a lot of that energy in a safe way that can then be redeployed when the country needs it during surges and Ed Sheeran's concert, um, that's actually going to be a good thing. <laughs> Thanks so much, Chris. Absolutely stunning. Lovely having you back. We'll do it again next week. All right. Looking forward to it, everyone. Bye-bye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.